We come proclaiming to you today there is nothing, there is nothing better. In fact, there's nothing, there is no one, Christ alone. And he is the reason we have gathered here. Take your Bibles, if you would, find the New Testament letter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 17 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Thank you so much to our praise band. Thank you for leading us in worship today. and We appreciate them. Listen, uh, have you had fun today so far? I think, it's okay. I think it should be fun to be able to worship. And, uh, and it should be pleasing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're able to come and be able to worship here today. Had the choir and the early service, praise band. I was able to enjoy most. Hey, or both. Hey, you could too, anytime. It's free every time you come in. But uh, we're glad to see you today and glad that you've come uh, as well. Thank you, Daria. And we're thankful for Women's Hope. Thank you for that testimony. Uh, Sanctity of Human Life Month today. Sanctity of Human Life Day even. So appreciate you sharing uh, and Thank you so much for the avenues in which you meet needs and share Jesus. Thank you for that. Parkway Baptist Church is a partner, supporter of uh, Women's Hope, uh, partner in many ways, in ways in which, which our church is able to go come alongside. We have many volunteers, projects throughout the year, which we're a part of, of Women's Hope, and appreciate Parkway in being able to do that. Parkway, you have given to Women's Hope. You're giving to Parkway, you're giving to Women's Hope. If you want to do that more so, you can do that. You can do it through the church. You can designate it to Women's Hope. You can do it straight through to Women's Hope. We appreciate uh, the many, many uh, and the change, as, we, as has been noted, uh, the change, and we're, we're thankful, the Roe v. Wade and how that has changed. But now it's time for believers, churches, women's hope, as I've heard Derry say, that, hey, busier than ever before. Because now there's more to do than ever before, hopefully uh, giving answers to more and more of those. Ephesians chapter 4, going to be reading verses 17 and following. This now is the word of God. Now I say... And testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not what you learn Christ. That's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the, the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now let me put an emphasis on verses 22 through 24 perhaps. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. It was three weeks ago at the Monday night NFL football. 
Buffalo Bills versus the Cincinnati Bengals and safety DeMar Hamlin, age 24, made a flying tackle. After the tackle, he stood up to his feet and then he collapsed. You've heard about it many times on the news. Heart stopped, paramedics rushed to his side and performed CPR for 10 minutes before rushing him to a nearby hospital. For days, he remained in critical condition, unaware of what was happening around him, of the nation that was praying for him, or even that the game had been postponed and then later canceled, which, by the way, they're playing one another again today, I think. After almost three days of being unconscious to the world, when he realized where he was and what was going on, his first question that he asked, who won the game? And the doctor said, you won because you're still alive. Even I'm astounded by the support across the nation of this football player and of the people who saw that life was more important than a game. Even, listen, how astounding is it that even on the NFL network, live television, you've got broadcasters praying on TV. Well, all understanding that life is a gift. We understand and we've heard from today, life is a gift from conception to the grave. Life in Christ we're celebrating now. We've sung about it. We're going to continue to talk about it. It is the emphasis of the book of Ephesians, knowing that life in Christ is the supreme gift that gives us eternal life and gives us purpose in this life as well for all those who place their faith in Him. Now, we've been talking about what it means to be in Christ. And if you have life in Christ, you understand that you're already a winner. You're victorious in Christian living. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul wants us to be able to understand from this letter that he wrote to Ephesus, now we're able to read it today, is what it looks like to have life in Christ, the things that we already have as believers in the Lord Jesus. Let's take a look at some of those. In chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that you are saints. We may not feel very saintly, may not look very saintly sometimes, but we understand all those who are in Christ, we are set apart. We've been made holy, righteous, not by our own works, but only because... Of what, because of the blood of Jesus. In chapter 1 and verse 5, we understand that you're an adopted child. We have, uh, we have been claimed by God. To all the Bible says all those who uh, call upon Jesus are adopted into his family. Chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, Speaking of who we are in Christ, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us you're, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Chapter 2 and verse 19 says you're members of the household of God. Chapter 2 and verse 22, you're a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. Chapter 3 and verse 6, we're made aware of the mystery of Christ. Two or three times the word mystery here is used in this verse. Every time it's used, it's talking about the mystery, that which was not fully aware, fully made known until after Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. And here's the mystery. Most of the times when you read in the New Testament, it is referring to the mystery of Jesus came to save all people. We've been made aware of that if we were in Christ because we've been saved. Chapter 3 and verse 12, we have confident access to Jesus, able to come to him at any time. We're able to know and have that relationship with him. Chapter 3 and verse 19, we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Chapter 4 and verse 16, we began in 17, so... Verse 16 tells us that you're uniquely gifted in Christ to help build his church. All culminated in what we find in chapter 2 and verse 8, that we are saved by grace through faith. All those who have been saved by grace through faith, these are the things that you are if you are in Christ. And after listing these things, these are done without even trying. 
In other words, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, these are the things that you already are, that Christ has made you, not by your own effort, not by your own works, but because of who He does, who He is, and what He's done for us. Now, we've talked about many of these the last couple of weeks, and this is our halfway point on this five-week series, working through Ephesians. In fact, just to let you know where we are, January 28th, we, excuse me, January the 8th, we talked about who you are in Christ. It's the theme of this letter and continues. Last week, we talked about who you are in the church. We talked about who we need to be in the church and the people need to be able to see uh, that we are on mission for Christ. Today, we're talking about who you are in the community and we're going to talk about how we are to be different from this world. What makes us different as believers in the Lord Jesus. We read about that very thing just a moment ago. Next week, we're going to talk about who you are in spiritual warfare. The last part of chapter 6, the last chapter in this particular letter, talks about spiritual warfare. And some of you know you're in it. Some of you don't know it, but you are. And we're going to talk about those very things. And then on our last of our series, February 5th, who you are in the home and the family, last part of chapter 5, first part of chapter 6, talks about the home and family. And we kind of switch those around just a little bit because the next week we're having a Marriage Enrichment Weekend, we're having a guest speaker on Sunday morning who's going to talk about the home and family. And uh, so we're kind of a kickoff maybe for some of those things. I've got to tell you, there's something here today in these verses for everybody. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, there's certain some, certainly something here for us as we have been made distinct in Christ that we need to be made different. People need to be able to see that we're different. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're here today or maybe somebody watching today. Well, you're going to get a unique glimpse into what it should look like as a follower of the Lord Jesus. And hopefully what you will see is that following Jesus is a life worth living as well as understanding because of what Christ has done that you can have eternal life and live eternally with Him. But then there's a, there's a group here also, a special group here today that there's something for you. Now it should be for every believer. But this is for those who uh, really want to stand out from the crowd. I mean, be head and shoulders above the rest as a disciple and a follower of Jesus, not so that you can point to yourself, but so that you can be a part of kingdom work and so that you can point to Christ. And if you want to, if you're one of those people, or maybe today you'll be convinced that, yes, I want to be someone that stands out from the crowd, not because I want to point to myself, but because I want to point to Jesus, then you want to pay close attention perhaps to these verses today because has nothing to do standing out from the crowd, nothing to do with fame or popularity or billboards or cameras or money. And this was written specifically though, and we're gonna read it and pay attention to it as if it was written specifically for you and me who want those things to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Simple outline that I have for you today, five ways to be a standout in the crowd. Uh, now, these are just things I'm just, you could have listed these here in the verses. We're just going to talk about them today, but not also I want you to understand these are things I'm still working on. As I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ going out to the world, we, we want to not follow a crowd. We don't want to just be a face in the crowd, but we want to be a shining light for your Lord in the darkness of the world today. Here's the first one. Always tell the truth. Sounds pretty simple. Always tell the truth, but... In verse 25, it says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, you might remember the story of the Good Samaritan in the New Testament that told us something about our neighbor, who our neighbor is. A neighbor could be anybody, particularly anybody in need. And this could be talking about, it says, for we're members of one body that we certainly need to 
you know, speak truthfully to one another. Be sure we're speaking truth, the truth of who Jesus is, and be sure that we're telling the truth every time we, we as a body of believers. Or it also could mean that as a body of Christ, that we go out into the world, we should be known by those who are always seeking to tell the truth. Because if you want to be a person of notice, you want to be a person of integrity, where the people can count on you and count on you to always tell the truth. I cannot overemphasize enough the importance of truth in a believer's life. The Bible is full of directions of people telling the truth from the Ten Commandments, Sermon on the Mount, all throughout the New Testament, always telling the truth. It, it ought to characterize every person who professes Jesus. First, because Jesus is the truth. In fact, in verse 21 that we read a moment ago, talking about a, it says, For surely you've heard about him, talking about Jesus, you were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. And you might remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the truth. So we, we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus living inside each one of us. So we carry around who Jesus is. So if people cannot trust what we say, well, what does that say about the Savior? How do they believe in the one who is the truth? So, so let us seek not to stretch the truth. Let us seek not to tell half-truths, which your half-truth is what? It's a whole lie, I believe. How about, how about white lies? I mean, those things that we might tell just because it's a little bit easier to tell. Maybe not gonna, really going to harm anybody, but, you know, just kind of smooth thing out if you tell those white lies. Well, listen, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to be sure not to lose your integrity over a white lie if there is such a thing. I mean, if you're going to lose your integrity, make sure it's over something big. And then obviously there couldn't be anything big enough to lose your integrity. Most of us, maybe we tell the truth most of the time, but every now and then we get into situations where we feel we've gotten backed into a corner and for our sake or someone else's, we've got to shade that truth some. Well, I, I want to get you to the point to where you realize, well, that's what everybody does. It's what the crowd does. It's not what followers of Jesus do. So does, did Jesus really mean for us to tell the truth? Is Paul really telling us that we need to tell the truth all the time? Well, Paul writes in Ephesians, remember where you came from. Remember you were taught to put off the old self and put on the new. Don't be like the way you before you became a Christian, like the world is who does not know Jesus. So verse 25 tells us, put off the old and put on the new. And then the very first thing when he gets really practical, he says, you know, it begins with uh, trading falsehood for truthfulness. Now he's also talking about those who've come out of a false religion. And we have a false religion called secularism and many others that are out there today, materialism. But coming out of that world and being sure that you're a part of what is the truth, and that is that it is Christ alone and that we follow him in all things. But God works through the truth. Who works through lies? We know that Satan does. There's always an alternative to telling a lie. But you've been in situations where to tell the truth Maybe got somebody else in trouble. Maybe got you in trouble. Maybe, you know, something that just wouldn't be right. And you want to, sometimes people get caught off guard. And if you've not already decided that you're going to tell the truth all the time, the first instinct is to lie your face off. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to decide now. I mean, today. That from now on, that whenever it comes, I'm going to tell the truth or not tell the truth. I'm just going to tell the truth regardless of what happens. I mean, Speak the truth in love, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us already earlier in this passage, so we know we've got to do it in love. Uh, I, uh, I, for years, decades now, I've told young people and students, uh, 
who uh, kind of give them an alternative to telling lies. And I've told them, I said, now listen, you've come to a place and maybe you're going to get in trouble. We're going to get somebody else in trouble. So you're going to be tempted or, you know, it's not going to look well if you tell the, here's, here's your alternative. Not just for students, for young Your alternative, but I tell students, say, stand there on your oversized feet and say, I know the truth, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I mean, they'd be better than telling a lie or I'm not going to tell you yet. And then pray about it, think about it. And the Lord will give you an alternative and sometimes alternatives to have somebody else tell the truth. Here's why it's important because the decision time needs to be now because when you get into that job or that situation or at school, you think it might cost you in a relationship or financially or reputation, you still need to tell the truth because telling the truth is one way that shows that you really trust God. It will make you stand out from the rest of the crowd to be a shining light. Number two, often evaluate your emotions. Often evaluate your emotions. Almost, almost put uh, control your emotions or control your feelings. But Paul writes in verse 26, In anger, do not sin. Knowing that we cannot always control how we feel, we cannot always control our emotions, but we can control our actions and particularly what we do with anger. And our feelings must be kept in check. The Lord realizes that we're going to be angry at times. We're human, but anger is not a license to sin. Why did you throw that brick at me? Well, I was angry. Oh, well, that still doesn't make it okay. A lot of people behave based on how they feel. That we're talking about the contrast, how the world was, how you were before you knew Christ. Well, that's, I'm going to, this is how I feel. It's the way I'm going to act. Well, it's not biblical. The Bible says we're supposed to act based on how Christ feels or what he directs. What would make Jesus happy? Anger is defined as an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. It's, most, it's common to everyone. One Christian writer wrote, the person who says he never gets angry is either lying, deceiving himself, or he is next in line for the next vacancy in the Trinity. I think I got what he was saying. But even Jesus got angry. He got angry at the money changers in the temple and the God's house be called a house of prayer. You got to whip and turn tables over. I'd love to have seen it. <laughs> How about you? Got angry uh, when they brought, they brought a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath to see what Jesus would do. And the Bible says he, he, Jesus was angry about it. So what did he do about it? Well, he talked to him a little bit about it and he healed the man with a withered hand demonstrating to us it's always okay to do good on Sunday. It's always good to do good on, every, on any day. Jesus was angry and he put them in their place by doing good. When evaluating your emotions, your feelings, your passions, or your anger, Jesus reminds us that these are not to be self-motivated. There are things that we should be angry about. All those things having to do with injustices, people being mistreated, those that, uh, that which goes against the truth of God. We are to be angry at sin, but we're to love people. Now, I know many of you are intellectual, so Aristotle said this. Anyone can become angry, but to become angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way, that's not easy, Aristotle said. But the Bible does give us a couple of hints. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the devil get a foothold. I was uh, speaking at a senior adult Valentine banquet some time ago, and and uh, allowing them to be able to maybe give some good advice to those who, you know, about marriage. And one, 
One lady that I knew stood up. She said, well, I've been, we've been married for 50 years and we have never gone to bed angry. And of course I knew her and I said, that's because you make him sleep on the couch. Well, not going to bed angry is probably, it's probably a good rule to follow, but it means don't let it fester. Don't let it be able to get a hold on your feelings and your actions. Watch and evaluate it. For the devil would love to give a foothold on your emotions, on your feelings, on your relationships, and let it cause you to be led astray. Anger is a form of passion. So we're swapping that kind of passion to be sure. And the only way that we cannot let anger control us is to be sure that we are passionate about the things of God. And the rest will take care of itself. Number three, be a blessing, not a burden. Be a blessing, not a burden. Verse 28 that we read a moment ago says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Kind of reminds us of that eighth commandment, does it not? That thou shalt not steal. Paul adds to that, and he says, instead to use your hands to work. We might expect that, for Paul wrote in another letter, let, he said, let him who does not work, let him not eat. So here Paul's reminding us of this about a good work ethic, of course, but he takes it to another step. So he got the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Paul adds to that and says, you know, if, you, if you're not, not only should you steal, but you should work, have a good work ethic. If you not have a good work ethic, then you should not eat. And then here he adds even more. He said, not only should you not steal, but you should work and provide for yourself, have a good work ethic, but also you should work so that you can have something to share with others. Now, many of us are parents, and, or many of us have had parents, and uh, so uh, there are three times that are emotional times in a parent's life. One is when they go off to grade school. First day they're going to stay, go all day. That's an emotional time they go off to school. Second time is when they go off to college. That's an emotional time. Your dad's all cried on their way. They, well, they did when you were there or not, when they dropped you off and you went home. And then there's the third time. That's when they have gotten their first real job. Praise the Lord, baby has a position. Baby's going to make some money. This verse speaks to motivation. Why do you want to do it? Why do you want to do it? you want to be rich? It's not a sin to be rich. Billy Graham said it's not a sin to be... He said it's not a sin to be wealthy. It might be a sin for you to die wealthy. In fact, I think that Jesus told a couple of parables about that. Remember Zacchaeus, wee little man, the short, wealthy tax collector. Till he had an encounter with Jesus and gave back fourfold because I kissed with his encounter with Jesus. He's no longer like he once was. He went from a giver, from a taker to a giver. You want to be powerful? You want to tell other people what to do? You want to be a boss? Uh, want everything that this world has to offer? Earn a good living? The Bible applauds a good work ethic. But if that's all you want, you're shortchanging yourself and God. Your motivation as believers in Jesus Christ is you want to give something back. Do what you do, pursue your goals and your dreams so that you can be a blessing to others. You've been blessed financially, which by the way is not usually when we say the word blessed, it's what we think of, but it's probably not what that means, but we call it that. If you're blessed financially, don't feel guilty. Just be sure that you're also being a blessing. Your, your very career choice should be a blessing to be something that's helpful and not harmful. And much of your earnings and much of your resources should be used to help others and to further kingdom work. This also reminds us that Christianity is the great antithesis. It's the opposite of what the world teaches. Instead of stealing, the opposite is not just working, but it is sharing. 
cheating and the helping. Instead of sexual promiscuity, talked about in this passage, we can decide for purity before and within the marriage so that we might be able to honor God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself for us a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God. So instead of hate or choosing here you're going to love, love like Jesus, love all people. Verses 3 through 4 says, But sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. It, should, it, it may be something that we named as something not to do, but it shouldn't even be a hint of these things. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be, instead of all of these things, what there should be. You, well, you decided you're going to be thankful to the Lord for the new life or all that. Remember, we listed all those things, who you are in Christ. If we're thankful for all of those things, then these will be a thing of the past. Verses, uh, verse 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You've gone from darkness to light. Verse uh, 15 of chapter 5 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, God wants to make you smarter. And in fact, the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verses uh, 18 and 19 of chapter 5 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So instead of wine, well, we've, we've heard this part about being filled with the Spirit that seems to have more with emotion, but that's simply deciding that you're going to follow the Holy Spirit's direction. And if you do, you're going to find yourself praising God instead. Wine for praise. Speaking to one another in praise. Talking about the things of God. Singing about God even as we have done. Number four, speak like you've been saved. Speak like you've been saved. Verses 29 and 30 of chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, when you speak, let others know that you've had an encounter with the Savior. If you got your Bibles open, you might notice chapter 4 and verse 1, where it says there, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the word walk is used many times in Ephesians. So walk in a worthy manner. And then verse 17, it says also, don't walk like the Gentiles do. Talking about don't like, walk like those who do not know Jesus or like you did before you knew Jesus. So this is one way you don't walk or have a lifestyle of those who don't know Jesus, and it's how you speak. It's, it's the words that you use coming out of your mouth. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. speaketh. Someone said that that means that what's in the well of the heart comes up through the bucket of the mouth. Well, we all know people with a bucket mouth. Some people use certain language wanting to make themselves look important but it's usually an indication of a limited vocabulary and an immature heart. Jesus made it clear that a changed heart, maturing heart, will lead to a changed speech or a changing speech. I know some of you are working on it and continue to work on it because it shows up in what we say. There's some expectations for believers 
And one is that we guard what we say. And it doesn't mean just bad language, but sometimes it's going along with what others say, talked about crude joking, those kind of things, or trying to fit into the crowd too much. Now remember, we're talking about being a standout in the crowd, not just different, but one who makes a difference and one who uses their speech in order to build other people up and not tear them down. People who are constantly criticizing others, it's usually a sign of insecurity. They're insecure about something or about themselves. So the only way they can build themselves up is in order to tell other people down. But here's the beauty of Christianity, of being in Christ, all those things that we've talked about being in Christ. We can have confidence of who we are in Christ, confidence of where our eternity lies, so that the Holy Spirit is the promise of that He's going to be with us all of our life. He's the promise also that salvation will not be taken away. So here's one of the added benefits. We live with confidence and we can build others up and benefit those who will listen. And from our mouths, we also speak the truth about Jesus. When our speech does not honor God, it grieves the Holy Spirit living in us. Speak like you've been saved. Same way of saying act like you've been saved. And number five, forgive like you've been forgiven. Now verse 32 is a favorite verse of someone close to me. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's a secret here to joyful living that needs to be understood. The world does not know and many Christians forget. Forgive others like Christ has forgiven you. Verses 31 and 32 is one of those contrast verses. Verse 31, take a look at it. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Sound like more like one of those housewife episodes or mean girl movies or something. Well, this is, that's one way to live. Now we're not that way toward everybody. But to hold a grudge or to be unkind against anybody or to be unforgiving will zap the joy out of your Christian life. Don't let unforgiveness steal your joy. And truly, when we're not kind, compassionate, or forgiving towards someone, you may or may not be hurting them. It may have no effect on them whatsoever, but it is truly hurting yourself, hurting your relationship with Jesus, and it leads to bitterness. But when you forgive someone, it's not, for your, it's not just for your sake, though you do receive a benefit. It's not for just for their sake, even though it serves as a testimony to them. It's truly for Christ's sake. Because we've been forgiven, we should forgive because now we know how. Because we were forgiven when we did not deserve it. And now the Lord's asked you to become more like Christ. Kind, be kinder. Compassionate and forgiving. Now, are we ready for these things? I believe we are. You and I, are, we're being sent out into the world. Not to be one of the crowd, but to be a standout as Christ's representatives. You represent God's church. You represent the body of Christ. You represent Jesus himself. And how can you do that? Well, you can tell the truth. You can evaluate your emotions. It can be a blessing and not a burden. Speak like you belong to the Savior and forgive like you've been forgiven. In Acts chapter 19, after Paul had been in Ephesus and his companions for three years, the Bible makes this statement, said the gospel began to be known not only in Ephesus, but in all of Asia. Now, probably it was talking about Asia Minor, maybe Turkey, maybe modern-day Turkey, a little beyond. But it, from what was happening in Ephesus, 
people becoming believers, beginning to share and beginning to act like Christ, it became known. The Bible says there was a fellow by the name of Demetrius. He was a silversmith who made gods, little idols of Artemis, the goddess of Artemis, also known as Diana. And he got all of his other little silversmith buddies together. He said, listen, we're losing business here. People aren't buying the idols that they used to buy. We need to do something. And, they, and he kind of got them stirred up and they were all uh, upset and angry that this was happening. They realized, you know, that because of the people, it wasn't because of Paul. In fact, in that scripture, it says it was because of the people they called the way. I'm assuming because they said that the way and the only way was through Jesus. He said, these people... You know, we got to do something. So they began to stir up the crowd. The mob arose. They all went into the theater there in Ephesus. And here's, a, here's how the theater looks today. Another picture of it. I think we've got it. But they all came into this theater. All the people in the town city, great big city of Ephesus, maybe second largest in the world at that point. And most all the people were there in Ephesus. They drug a couple of Paul's companions into the theater. And there was a crowd gathering there. In fact, the Bible says they were all confused. A lot of people didn't even know why they were there. One of the town leaders by the name of Alexander tried to get the people to, and speak to all the people that were there, but instead the people began to chant. They began to yell, greatest Artemis of the, of, the, of, Ephes, of the Ephesians, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. And they yelled it for two hours nonstop. And they continued to yell until one of the town, the town clerk, it says, got the people's attention and said, we're going to be in trouble with Rome for causing a rob." a mob and a riot and the people dispersed and Paul encouraged the disciples. Paul and his companions living for Jesus and speaking the truth caused the gospel to be proclaimed in all of Asia and a great disturbance in the city. Would that our lives, the truth that we share and the life that we live, the love that we show be noticed. Not pointing to us but pointing to Jesus. I cannot tell you that if you will walk the line with Jesus, if you will walk after him, your lifestyle changes, that all things will be great, that you'll have, all things will be great for you in your health and in your wealth. I cannot tell you those things. In fact, Jesus said that if you follow me, you can expect persecutions. But I can tell you, walk the line with Jesus and anticipate others will know you belong to him. Walk the line with Jesus and anticipate that others will know that you belong to to him. Can I tell you this morning that everybody can do something? We can do something to improve. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're continuing to grow in Christ. We know that none of us are perfect, but we can all do something to improve. Maybe there's a particular subject here that we've talked about, whether it has to do with telling the truth, having to do with angry emotions, having to do with earth ethic, speech, or forgiveness that you need to work on today. Maybe it is something that would help you with all of these things because you realize I need to spend more time, quiet times every day with the Lord, spend time in prayer. I need to spend time in God's word, more time with God's people. I need to be learning more. I need to read the good book, maybe read another book that helps you with the good book uh, as well. But everybody can do something. So I encourage you to do something to improve in these areas. Maybe the something you need to do is to give your heart and life to Jesus for the very first time and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. Because you don't have a testimony today. You cannot say that you're in Christ. If you cannot, or you're listening today, you're here today, if you cannot say that you know for sure that you're in Christ, Holy Spirit's living in you. You know that you have a home in heaven. Then today, ask Christ to forgive you for sins. Ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. 
And he's promised that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and thank you, Father, for your presence here today. We thank you that we can depend and know nothing but Christ alone. It's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're able to have life, have, have eternal life, and know that we can be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Father, we pray even now that you're showing us ways in which we can improve, become more like Jesus today. Father, maybe it's one of these that we've talked about. Maybe it's something we've not particularly talked about, touched on, but you can, we know that you're at work in people's hearts to show where the changes need to take place. Help us to change. Become more like Jesus. Be transformed. And Father, we pray if there's someone here that does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that today might be the day of salvation, that they call upon Christ. And we pray, Father, that will take place even today. And they'll be ready to share that with others. Lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.